You're listening to Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. All right, this week, Healthy-ish takes over the pod with its guide to being alone. This online series is filled with essays, stories, and recipes about solitude in this time. Whether you're actually living by yourself or just trying to find your own space, among others. First up, healthy-ish editor Amanda Shapiro interviews associate editor Christina Che. Che has developed smart strategies around shopping and cooking for herself. She gets everything she needs, but nothing goes to waste. After that, Amanda calls contributor Hawa Hassan. Hawa has been self-quarantining in her apartment by herself, solo. But she's meeting people outside in her community, organizing local volunteers, and delivering meals to Brooklyn hospital workers on the front lines. Finally, author Sachi Cole reads an essay she wrote about how much she misses eating alone at restaurants while surrounded by other people. And now, here's the show. Hi, Che. Hi, Amanda. It's so nice to chat with you from inside my closet. Uh, it's so nice to chat with you from... I'm uh, I'm live from my roommate's closet. Actually, our house is so funny. We So we live on the top two floors of a brownstone. And um, you've been here, obviously. But I don't know if you've ever seen Upstairs. Briefly. All of our bedrooms are connected in some way or another. So my two roommates' rooms are connected by this long corridor-style closet that they share. And the way that they divide it is they kind of just open up these doors right in the middle to make this, like, makeshift partition. Mm. Um, and so I'm just, like, wedged in one of the closet halves. Oh, the joys of Brooklyn brownstones. I'm staring at, like, 30 pairs of shoes. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I have my shoes on one side and I have my um my blenders on the other side. This is really embarrassing, but I currently have three blenders. <laughs> Does this include your blueser? Yes, the blueser <laughs> is one of them. Uh, shout out to Breville for the blueser. Also some dried beans. Mm, I love your closet, though. It's really nice for what it needs to do, which is basically which is everything. everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Including recording podcasts. <laughs> It's so great. I am so excited because Emma thinks that we're about to record a podcast on meal prep when, in fact, we are about to start the inaugural episode of My Brilliant Friend Season 2, The Aftermath, our episodic recap. (laughs) The recap podcast. I've been trying to get Emma to give us a (laughs) healthy-ish podcast, but mostly just so that me and Che can talk about my brilliant friend on HBO, uh, which we watch together over Zoom every week. It's the highlight of my week. I'm I'm so sad that we're drawing to a close. But um, sadly, in fact, yes, we are here to talk about not Nino, not my brilliant friend, but meal prep, our other favorite subject. Yeah, I was going to try to come up with an elegant segue, which was something about how um, it watching a show together is one way to feel together, even when we're alone. And this is the... Healthiest Guide to Being Alone has been running all month on the site. And Che, you wrote, I think, one of the most helpful pieces in the guide, which also went out as your newsletter last week and is on BeHealthyish.com now, that is about the phrase that we both hate, meal prep, and how you do it (laughs) for yourself, uh, even though you live with roommates. So that's kind of where I want to start, actually, is like, Tell us like a little bit about what your quarantine situation is and also kind of what your solo cooking routine is, even though you do live with others. Mm, Right. So as I mentioned, my quarantine situation is I live in an apartment with my two roommates. You know, we're essentially the only people each other are seeing for the most part. Um, We have recently started having people drop by and do these really cute little like porch drop-offs. Um, our mutual friend Belle Cushing came by the other day with those incredible financiers. Oh my God, I'm still th- dreaming about those. Oh, I devoured it. It was so good. So things like that, that kind of keep us a little bit connected to the outside world. You've come by with delicious Campari olive oil cake, that Melissa Clark recipe. Yes. So for, for listeners, I do live a six-minute walk from Christina, which is very helpful for, for doing drops. Yeah. But so I guess, you know, we all have pretty different schedules right now. For me, I try to have as normal a routine as possible in terms of my cooking. So I guess the the most different thing about working at home versus going to the office every day right now is like for each meal, I will take the time to cook it 
So I'm, I am cooking like breakfast, lunch and dinner every day, which means that in the middle of the day, I'm taking a pause from work to, you know, to, to prepare something that's usually warm. So I don't know. I feel like taking that 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, however long that is, especially during the middle of the workday has become incredibly important. It's become this new ritual that I actually find I've grown very attached to and it's going to be interesting to leave and sad sort of to leave it behind. Not that leaving yeah. any else, anything else from this era will be sad, but I'll miss that part. Silver linings. Yeah. Largely for the most part, I'm cooking these things for myself. Although like we have a large rotating cast of baked goods that we share um, because Emma, one of my roommates is really into baking right now. I'm doing some baking and then who is on not occasion. TBH? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so we share those things and then here and there we'll we'll share meals together, which is nice too. Even though our routines are kind of out of whack right now, um, I loved your post so much because I felt like, you know, so much of it was really helpful for any time. Like it just feels like really evergreen good advice. And like obviously for the guide to being alone, we're talking toward people who are cooking for one. But, you know, I think a lot of this is really helpful, even if you're not cooking for just yourself and even if you're not in quarantine. So I really just I would love to just like run down your list. You have six great tips. And Mm. the first one is to make a master grocery list, which is something that sounds so simple. And at the same time, I never thought of it before. (laughs) Well, so yeah. I guess this is a I guess this is an example uh, really of form following function because this is made possible in my life because of this app that I'm obsessed with called Clear. It's a list making app that I've used for years and its greatest strength is that you can make one list once. Um, it has a really intuitive like swipe right to strike through the things on your list when you like are checking them off. And then you can swipe left to kind of revive the whole list, if that makes sense. So it's like if you go to the store, you have your list written down of all the ingredients you want to get. You strike through them as you buy them. And then you get home and you realize you want to buy all the same things the next week. You can just like with one swipe resurrect the list um, and do it all over again. So the idea for you of this master list is that you know that there are certain things that you're going to buy every week or that you want to buy every week. What are some of the things on that list? My true weekly groceries list is about a dozen ingredients. Most of it is fresh stuff. It's like onions, ginger, garlic, chilies, greens, um, sweet potatoes, fruit, eggs, tofu, and yogurt. So pretty basic Mm -hmm. list. And actually, when I was looking through this, when I was preparing for this pod, I realized, you know, who actually has a really similar list to this is Lucas Folger, who we are both fans of and whose new book, Start Simple, actually, it's it's devoted to chapters built around so many of wonderful. these ingredients. You're right. A lot of your ingredients are each chapter is how to use, you know, a handful of sweet potatoes, a block of tofu, some leafy greens, very similar lineup to yours. Yeah. And I feel like he has a very similar thesis, which is, um, you know, that you you get used to buying the same building block ingredients. You get really comfortable with learning how to prepare those things in all different kinds of ways. And from there, then you can start to add on fun things, novel things that you can incorporate intelligently into meals you already know how to make and are comfortable with knowing how to make. I also really like this strategy because it helps mediate that impulse that I feel like we've also talked about where, and you actually wrote about this in your newsletter, I think two weeks ago, like when you end up at the grocery store and you just end up buying all this stuff because it looked really good at the time and then you're like oh my god I bought too, I bought way too many vegetables or like I bought this thing and I don't know how I'm going to use it and you gave a great strategy for what to do when you do buy too many vegetables but I feel like having having your true weekly groceries is kind of it's like a good way to keep yourself on track too yeah I will say it's not it's not the most effective right now especially because sometimes I'm buying groceries now for every two weeks and it's just everything's a disaster but yeah Yes, it's a good guiding principle. Yeah. All right. So number two, 
treat your freezer like temporary storage space. The way I've been thinking about this one is like the things in your freezer, they are subletting. They are not signing a lease. Yes, I think that is I think that is accurate. Basically, my freezer used to be this place where I would just shove random quarts and packages of things in there willy-nilly, never labeled. It was a mess and I just never really knew what was in there because I didn't have a proper inventory system. It was like deep sea diving for like, you know. Yeah, except you would lost never get ruins. it, you never catch anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so now these days, and I I mentioned this in the newsletter, I, I treat it almost like a second fridge. Like I'm opening the freezer these days as often as I am the fridge, which used to not be the case. I feel like the freezer was just sort of there and who knew what was in there, but I didn't want to deal with it right now. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I'm really excited to go check out what's in there because I know that I have taken the time to every time I put something in the freezer, I've portioned it out. So we've been we've been getting these amazing fish deliveries from peerless fish which is this local restaurant supplier i spent a little bit of time that day cutting them up into portions for one and then um, we have a vacuum sealer which is very fancy so you know vacuum sealed those i don't use my rice cooker that often but when i do it's because i intentionally want to make a lot of you know brown rice or something like that all at once and then i'll like portion those into like one cup serving sizes or whatever and stash those bags in the freezer too okay so you're pre-making rice and freezing the freezing them in kind of single serving baggies can you like dump them right into like a fried rice like can you use them right from the freezer oh yeah a freezer to fry pan baby wow mind blown it kind of uh, it kind of solves the the problem of like oh you need day old rice to make the best fried rice it's just it's already kind of haggard and sad once it hits the freezer and comes back out unless you revive it properly and fried rice happens to just be like one of the best ways to do that all right so let's let's move to number three which is prep more to cook less so i know we both have feelings about the term meal prep, Mm -hmm. which are that we don't like it as an idea, because I think for a lot of people, what they think of when they think of meal prep are like, you know, your Tupperwares with your pre-made full meals ready to go. But your version of meal prep is really, is really just prep. It's like food, it's ingredient prep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love prep. I will, I will go to bat for prep any day of the week. Former line cook here still loves prep. (laughs) And, you know, prepping to me is as much, it it is as much cooking as cooking is. It's so important to just set yourself up in that way. Actually, I was so proud. Yesterday, my roommate came home from the grocery store with all this stuff. She had all this, she had all these fresh greens and, you know, just all kinds of produce. And then she just, um, you know, she just did it. She spent an hour prepping everything and putting it away. And then she finished and she turned to me and she was like, Christina, I feel so prepared oh. for the week. And I was just like, oh, oh you, you were such a guru. <laughs> so what does that actually look like when you come home? What are the what are some of the main things that you're always doing with the ingredients that you bought? Well, it's likely that I will have a lot of things that need to be washed. Um, so any kind of big bunch of greens or herbs, I just will wash and dry them before I store them. So generally what I'll do is fill up the sink. I'll like scrub down the sink and then I'll fill it with water and then I'll throw in like truly anything fresh that I've bought. So not just the greens and herbs, but also, you know, I'll take apart a head of celery or throw carrots in there and I'll just scrub or rinse everything free of grit and dirt Mm -hmm. because that way like when I look when I go to the fridge everything's just gonna be ready yeah you said you even pre-peel garlic cloves which like also kind of oh yeah because that's something (laughs) I I feel like I'm I've been warned against like buying pre-peeled garlic but doing it yourself for like your use for the week is kind of brilliant because that is the thing that I always hate having to do when I'm like about to cook dinner right I mean it is confusing to me why they only sell prepackaged, pre-peeled cloves of garlic by like the 200 <laughs> um, so that's why I feel like it doesn't really make sense for me 
But yes, it's funny because I didn't know this was a weird thing. This is just a habit that I picked up from my parents. They they have had a garlic jar in their fridge for like forever. How long does garlic last once you peel it and keep it in the fridge? I mean, easily a week or longer. Yeah. But my thing is that I just try to use, I use the same jar and it's pretty small. It probably can only hold like half a cup. Mm-hmm. So I never need, I, I rarely need more than that. You also um, peel some ginger, you said. Like if, if that's something that you bought that week, you'll pre-peel it. I mean, if there's anything I hate more than peeling garlic cloves, it's peeling ginger. Ugh. Are you I... team peel ginger, though, or team unpeel? Because I'm kind of gravitating toward not peeling my ginger ever anymore. No, I hate that. I, I can <laughs> never endorse that. Oh, my, pa- my parents would be appalled. <laughs> I guess... Okay. I, I think it depends on the application. The only time I feel like I'd be chill with that is if I know how it was grown. I know it's, mm. like, organic as hell. I've scrubbed the I've scrubbed the peel. It's tender. What I don't like about ginger, and especially with the peel, is like it's just kind of it can be very unpleasant and tough and fibrous mm-hmm. and stringy, and it's just like I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want that in my food. Okay. Peeling the ginger, pre-peeling the ginger. <laughs> this is the kind of prep you do so that when you are ready to cook you have a lot of the stuff out of the way that is sort of the most burdensome part you kind of get it done at the front end so that when you're actually cooking the experience is just like more seamless yeah think about how much time in preparing a meal from the very beginning is spent just dealing with all that stuff like the minutia that you don't really want to be doing like peeling the garlic cloves and washing this and that right it's like you only have to do that one time for I mean, right now I'm only doing it one time and and yielding, what, like 20 meals out of it. So pretty worth it to me. Okay. Number four, invest in solo-sized cookware. So I was actually talking to somebody yesterday about this, and he was like, you know, I really want to buy a smaller Dutch oven. He's a single guy. He's like, he lives alone. He's like, I don't know what to do with this giant Dutch oven besides like making bread in it. But then he was like, I don't want to buy like a smaller pot because like, I don't want to be, I'm not planning on being single forever, which number one, I thought was a kind of a funny way to like, a funny reason to not want to buy a pot. Um, but also like, I think a common thought, which is, you know, oh, these like mini versions of um, kitchen items are not, they're not versatile. Like, what am I going to do with a, with a tiny skillet? Which like, I think to an extent that's true. Like a, like you don't need a two inch cast iron for very much. <laughs> right. Um, but you have made a really good case for a few solo-sized items. Yeah. I mean, I think whoever you are, how many people you are cooking for, there are certain things that are always going to be extremely beneficial for you to own. One of those is a 1.5 quart, not a two quart, not a one quart, a (laughs) 1.5 quart stainless steel saucepan. I like mine with a lid because I love a lid. You don't need to get one because for some reason, once you add a lid to the saucepan cost, it just like jumps way up. It's all a racket, whatever. Such a racket. What kind of pan or like, what's the brand that you have? So I love this series from Calphalon. It's like the Calphalon Triply. And I think I love it because I just discovered a brand new set of it in my parents' house one of the times I was visiting. And then from then on, every time I went home, I would just like siphon off like a piece of it to take back with me without telling anyone <laughs> the triplies was gradually amassed in your apartment and and you know the one item i had my eye on that i would never be able to take because they actually use it all the time is the 1.5 quart steel saucepan bam it's just the perfect size for like a nice big bowl of soup for yourself um mm-hmm. i use it when i want to just make like a little bit of dal or like a small pot of lentils or rice. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's the perfect size for stovetop rice, which is a huge thing for me because like I said, I don't want to pull out my rice cooker for making rice just for myself. Right. But then like you have to be careful with the size of saucepan you're using to cook rice on the stovetop because it gets really finicky. The The service area is too wide. You end up with it stuck on the bottom. You lose the water. Yeah. It's, yeah. And so this is just like my, it's, it's my rice pot, but it's also my everything pot. Yeah. And you have a couple other things too. I was just scoping your 
Solo Donabe, which you wrote about another Donabe for Healthyish a while back that right, with I the love steamer that people insert. are obsessed with. It's a bigger one, but I didn't actually realize you also have a Donabe for one. Oh yeah, this one's like maybe just under two quarts, and uh, you know, I mean, the thing about a Donabe is you can do everything that you can do in a Donabe in that one point five quart saucepan it's just so much cuter oh it's so cute and you know that i just that i use for when i want to make hot pot for myself essentially mm-hmm. which is it's just so it's so fun it's such a pleasure to eat out of it's it's yeah. just, it's always such a pleasure to eat a whole pot of anything oh my god yes i wrote about making an entire fish for myself the other day again peerless fish branzino, a branzino which is a, a perfect size for one like this idea that a whole fish has to be for two like Listen, if I have one takeaway from the guide to being alone, it's make yourself a whole fish. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and then and then the last thing is just like a couple of smaller skillets, which is just I think it's silly to fry one egg in a 12-inch nonstick mm-hmm. when I could do it in a 6-inch nonstick and then yeah. spend one second washing it down afterward, you know? Yeah. Not all of us have space for, like, duplicates of lots of pots and pans that are in different sizes. But really, I think if you have a large and a small of a few of these things, you're just going to be a much more comfortable cook. Because like you said, certain dishes, rice, certain, you know, braises or whatever need more or less room. And it's nice to have a few options. You don't have to go crazy and get, like, the 12-piece set of anything. Oh, no, Um, never, never. You have a great collection of tiny cookware. Oh, thanks to my grandmother, like, inherited a little range of um, Le Creuset pots in various sizes, one of which is, again, my perfect rice one, one is for my larger soups, etc. Yeah, they're like sizes I've never seen before. (laughs) They might be out of print or whatever. (laughs) Okay, number five. This one was a hard one for me to get behind at first, but I really, I think I needed this rule, um, which is that... (laughs) You get one herb. <laughs> one. One. I don't like I don't like being told that I only get one. I'm an only child. I want I want it all. <laughs> but I do also believe that out of anything in my fridge, the herbs are the things I waste the most. And it feels terrible. Ugh, I know. Because they're so delicate, they're so delicious, they're so essential to cooking, and then so often they end up in the trash. Yes. Andy texted me after this newsletter went out, Andy Baragani, and um, he was like, by the way, I have six bunches of herbs in my fridge right now. I was going to say, I bet I know who disagrees with this rule. (laughs) And then I was like, but you're cooking for three people. Right. And he eats herbs like salad. Exactly. Not that I don't love an herb salad, but you know. (laughs) Should should I store all my herbs upright in glass jars in the fridge? Because I put some mint like that the other day, and it all browned, like, immediately. So did I have bad mint, or are some herbs better than others in the in the upright glass jar situation? I have never done the upright glass jar situation. I don't have space in my fridge to do an upright glass jar situation. Like, they would they would just all break. So what do you, how do you do, how do you store your herbs? Okay, so my thing that I have found works the best for me is, you know, I wash them, spin them dry in my little spinner, and then shake off as much of the rest of the water as I can. Just make sure they're, like, pretty dry and not dripping. You spin them in your salad spinner? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, I will wrap them in in a paper towel. And the paper towel will, I'll leave them like maybe just the slightest bit wet so that the paper towel then can dampen with the moisture. And Mm -hmm. then I'll put that bundle in a plastic bag and Mm. then I will store that in the fridge. And I think the two things that I found are really important are making sure the paper towel is a little bit damp, but not the herbs themselves. And also just like pressing all the air out of the bag. Wow. This is so essential because do you know what the worst thing is when I'm cooking is wet herbs like in like when you need to add them to the dish unless it's like a soup like a garnish of wet herbs is not what anybody wants it's the worst the worst so wash your herbs ahead of time but okay so we only get one I get it it's because we're trying to not waste food and we're cooking for one but like is the idea here that we should be like 
using our herbs in more versatile ways, like use like subbing more, I guess, liberally. Yes. Like, for example, I made chicken salad earlier this week. It was so good. And mm. what I really wanted was dill and parsley. Mm-hmm. Those are the herbs that I wanted. What I had was cilantro. Not a typical choice for chicken salad for me, but it's what I had. I was like, why not? Threw it in there. <laughs> it was delicious. Oh, wow. Okay, what's your desert island herb? Mm, cilantro. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really bold choice. I think mine is dill. Oh man, I would I, I, nothing against dill. I would just it would never be my desert desert island. I could eat dill like I could just I could eat a mountain of dill every day. I just feel like I it's like I just never get sick of it. It is good. They're all good. Number six, we're at the end. <laughs> we made it to the end. <laughs> Banish the concept of leftovers, and this is something that I think a lot of us at BA intuitively at this point do cook this way and I think a lot of people do but I I also think it can be a hard thing to learn if you're in this sort of pattern of like you make a big meal you eat the leftovers for lunch the next day you make another meal you eat the leftovers for lunch the next day this is something that David Tamarkin uh, editor-in-chief of Epicurious who published Cook 90 last year like his book is really built around this idea of you know they're not leftovers he calls them nextovers but this idea that you use components of a meal to create kind of entirely new meals so you're never really eating the same thing unless you want to but that but that that's like a way to kind of to avoid that that like leftover cycle the concept here is super simple it's just like try to avoid eating the same exact thing twice unless you want to which is great i just don't really get excited for that all that often but I think people think that eating a new thing every day has to start from like square one all over again when in fact like it could be as simple as just topping what you ate yesterday with a fried egg today or putting it on top of toast or you know what I mean like yeah and I think it's also a good way of um I know that you are this way because I we've talked about it like we hate seeing food go bad and not using food when we have it. And it's like a great way to kind of give yourself constraints. You know, I think sometimes cooking can feel overwhelming, but if you have a constraint like, oh, well, I have this leftover rice that I need to use up by the end of the week, or I have this extra like chicken thigh that I didn't cook or something, you know, you make chicken salad. It gives you um, some guidelines. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you two things that happened this week that I feel like are really illustrative of this. One is that I made egg salad. To dress it, I used, (laughs) I had saved maybe one teaspoon of shallot vinaigrette from like a salad I made a week ago. (laughs) And it was just hanging out in the fridge and just waiting to be used. And so I just threw that into my egg salad dressing. You know, I just mixed it with mayo. Oh my God. And then all of a sudden I had this really delicious tangy egg salad vinaigrette situation. And um, I put that on top of this bread that I have to make again because I have to bring you some. It's so good. It's this spelt and brown rice bread. Oh, my God. That looked so good. I want it. I know. It's already gone. This is from Amy Chaplin's book, Whole Food Cooking Every Day. From the book before that, actually, At Home in the Whole Food Kitchen. Yeah. And cannot recommend it enough. And it actually is a spelt-based bread that you fold in two cups of cooked brown rice into. Yes. From Angelica's and, Kitchen, that was, like, their famous, they called it cornbread, but it was, like, made with some corn, but, like, yeah, whole cooked brown rice. Right. Oh, so good. Anyway, so I had made brown rice, and then I had maybe a half a cup of it left over after I made the bread. And then last night I made meatballs, and I saw the rice, and I was like, oh, you can go in the meatballs. And so I just <laughs> tossed the rice in the meatballs, which Chris Morocco taught me to do from this year's Feel Good Food Plan, chicken and rice yes. meatballs. And it was so good. You know, it was just like a nice thing to discover, like, oh, I could put rice in my meatballs from now on if I just have a random half cup lying around. Yeah, I think that's like such a good place to end on, because I think that has been one of the joys of solo cooking for me during this time, like when everything else is feels like a complete catastrophe is I feel like I've become a more um, experimental cook and less sort of constrained by recipes we're dealing with the fridges that we have and we're trying to not go out as much for groceries and like we're trying to use things efficiently and 
I'm like, yeah, I'll crack an egg on that or I'll throw rice in those meatballs or like see what happens because most of the time I'm the only one dealing with the results. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's an adventure and it's you're you're just learning. The stakes feel the stakes feel low right now. Yeah. Um well that was such a joy. I am now really hungry for lunch and really I'm glad hungry that too. I made some giant butter beans yesterday. Mmm. I'm going to eat some of these ricey meatballs. I can't wait to chat with you more tonight when my brilliant friend, episode five, six? I don't even know. I think my, maybe six. See you then. <laughs> All right. See you then. All right. Bye. Bye. Hi, Hawa. Hi, Amanda. Good to be here with you. It's so good to talk to you. I feel like we've been talking... Uh, kind of kind of a lot since self quarantine started definitely more than more than before which has been really fun for me yeah you've become one of my new igbffs <laughs> igbff <laughs> i love it <laughs> yeah it's been super fun and inspiring and supportive to you know be in touch with you and also to see everything that you've been up to from you know self quarantining by yourself like I am to getting what we both believe to be COVID-19 around the same time to recovering to the work that you've been doing in the community since then and that's really what I'm excited to talk to you about today but first of all for our listeners who might not be familiar with you even though you've been across the Bon Appetit universe already <laughs> fill us in fill us in on the top line info about you? Yeah, so as you said, most of your audience is familiar with who I am, but I'm Hao Hassan. I am a um, CEO and founder of a food business called Best Best. We're a line of condiments from the continent of Africa. I am also soon to be a cookbook author. Um, I have Woo! a cookbook coming out in October with a few other people called In Bibi's Kitchen, which means grandmother. It's based on the eight African countries that touch the Indian Ocean. It's from the perspective of matriarchies, which are grandmothers. So it's stories and grandmothers pertaining to those eight countries. Um, I'm also somebody who's heavily involved in the community I live in. I've been in Fort Greene, Brooklyn since I was 19 years old. That's almost 15 years. And <laughs> But who's counting? No one, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Cool. Um, yeah, Hawa has also contributed some of my favorite recipes uh, to the site, which I encourage everyone to go look up and cook because that's not the subject of today's conversation, but um, definitely worth worth noting. Um, so. Like I mentioned, I know you've been um, in self-quarantine in Brooklyn. Um, you live alone. And, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to have you on was also because this is a episode devoted to the healthy-ish guide to being alone. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about the things we've been doing to stay, to keep it together. Um, what's it been like for you over the last month plus now um, being alone in your apartment? Um, I think oftentimes people think that I'm an extrovert, but I'm very much somebody who has been alone for a large part of her life. I am one of 10 kids. I'm the second eldest and I've that lived... That does not sound like alone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've lived apart from my family since 1993. So I grew up by myself in Seattle, Washington. Wow. Um, since I was seven. So like a lot of my summer afternoons were filled with like picking sunflower in the in the Rainier Community Center playground or building sandcastles in my local uh, park. And so, you know, living in New York City, it's a re it's as you know, you know, Amanda, it's huge, but it's also a very lonesome city. And mm -hmm. so being here for for the last 15 years, I think one thing I've always appreciated is my ability to be by myself and my ability to seek solitude when I've needed it. And I've lived alone for the majority of the time I've been here. Um, 
So that hasn't been too much an issue for me. I, I love waking up. I love making my hot cup of water and lemon. I love my routines. Nothing is really different for me than what happens every day, except for I'm not on the subway running to and from meetings. And you were kind of conducting business from home before this, or did you have an office that you were going into? Has your daily routine shifted a lot? Yeah, so... We do have an office in downtown Brooklyn that I was using often because I I just hit a wall at the beginning of this year in terms of just being focused enough at home. Um, And so we ended up getting an office, but my daily routine has really shifted. I had, you know, I'd gotten in this groove of getting up around 5.15 in the morning, getting some work done, having my to-do list, and then going to the gym in my neighborhood around 6.20 that no longer happens. Now I like, I'm lucky if I wake up around 6.30. I'm lucky if I'm out of the bed before 7.30. Um, That's still pretty lucky. Pretty lucky <laughs> as far as early mornings go in my book. Well, I also go to bed at like 9.30, 10. <laughs> yeah. Girl, we should quarantine together. We have the same schedule. <laughs> I mean, I think we talked about this on, on IG, but didn't we say we're very much like our mothers? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um. So... You were um, you were sick, I think, a little bit ahead of me. Um, and how was that for you? Were you, um, you know, did you feel more alone during that time? Was that was that? A, I mean, it was a very it was a scary time for me. So I, I'm curious um, how you felt like you kind of weathered that that storm. It was really interesting because I don't often get sick, um, and I don't. I think this is the first time in my life where I have a routine of talking to people every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when it first hit me, the first week we were in quarantine on that Wednesday, right as we went into like homestay, it was really warm in New York. And so I'd assumed, well, it looked warm. So one of the days I had to go into the city to pick up some samples to ship, which was that Wednesday. And because I didn't want to get on the train and I didn't want to get in an Uber, I rode a bike to Manhattan <laughs> and I didn't have on enough clothes. So I thought, oh, it must be because I didn't have on enough clothes. It must be because I, I caught a cold from riding the bike for two hours. And uh-huh. so I felt I felt like I got hit by a truck that night on my way to bed. But again, I was like, it's because I haven't been working out. It's because I was uh-huh. I was on a bike for so long. It's because it was cold outside. Um, I was super achy the next morning when I woke up. And then again, I was like, you know, it's my bed. Because shortly before all of this started, I had someone come to my house and arrange my closets and like readjust the energy in the place, you know? Oh, wow. Like an organization, Um, like coach? She, yeah, she's like an organizing therapist, I guess. So she did like all of my clothes by color. Um, she helped me with my pantry. But one of the oh, things amazing. that she had done was like sage my house. And then she said I should flip my bed. So I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like I have, I have a foam memory mattress, but I did for a week, for a whole week, I did that. And then I was like, this isn't going to work for me. So I flipped it back. But I was like, oh, it's because of my mattress. Oh, like I had all these reasons. I just could not fathom that I got COVID. Like I was like, no, I hadn't been anywhere really prior to the quarantine. So I was like, no, I never get sick. Like no one was really here. There's, there's just no way for this to happen. Yeah. And then... I lost my sense of smell and taste. Wow. And that was right before they knew that that was one of the side effects. Wow. So I Googled it. And I think like that day or the day before a report came out saying that um, doctors in Korea had just discovered this. And so I was like, okay. Then from there on, I just started to do what I'd been doing for other friends, which was sending um, products through this company called um, Corona Couriers. Mm-hmm. So I went and got my, I went and got ginger. I went and got pill like uh, probiotic pills. Um, I went, and, you know, I I'd already had like lemons. Um, I'd already had vitamin C packets. So I started to just go really heavy on that. I started steaming. I just started being really conscious of the way that I was feeling. And then 
um, a friend of mine send me an app to document my symptoms. Um, and then in two, three days, the feeling of feeling achy and bad was gone, but then my sense of smell and taste hadn't returned. And that mm-hmm. took about three weeks. Wow. Yeah, it's a long it's a long haul for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And I know that, um, yeah, well, I feel I feel like I was sort of at the end of it. Uh, and you were you were kind of done. And it was really, really good to have someone on the other side who was like, you know, just keep resting. We had to keep telling each other to rest because <laughs> something that we're both so bad at doing. Yeah, I was like, don't do too much. <laughs> right. No <laughs> more dance classes. To you. Yeah. Um, so at what point did you, after you were feeling better, um, at what point did you decide to start doing, um, the deliveries to the Brooklyn hospital center and tell me a little bit about how that came together? Cause you live, so going back, you live right across from the Brooklyn hospital center for, so for people who don't know, this has been one of the, um, hardest hit hospitals in the city, um, just in terms of number of confirmed cases um and I can imagine you know that's been really intense to be like right in that neighborhood but yeah how did it come together that you started uh delivering food to them so a girlfriend of mine had been really sick and then she went and got tested and so while we waited for her test I was like you know we should start preparing she also has asthma so I was like we should start preparing to like get you healthy now like don't don't wait around and let's not treat this like it's a common cold. And she had been sick like since the end of February. Uh-huh. And so again, I looked up that Corona carrier group. Um, I, f- I found them and they were a delivery service and we put together a whole list, which has now become the template for like the things I sent to people now or the things friends sent to other friends. And uh, that happened. Then another friend in my neighborhood got sick. And so then I sent him food from Colona Verde. Um, I asked him. And so Colona Verde is a restaurant in Fort Greene. Then uh, you've been friendly with the owners for a long time. Yes, they're my, it's my cheers. It's where I go there yeah. every single Saturday around 1.30. If anybody ever wants to come by. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> they're like, leave me alone. <laughs> don't come. <laughs> Again, solitude. Um, <laughs> but after this, I might need company. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so I go there every single Saturday and Tammy and Felipe, God bless their hearts, have become like family for me. And so they created this thing called Kelowna Go to adjust to what what had happened to the restaurant industry. So they started basically acting as a as like a blue apron type of business model. Mm-hmm. And so I started sending. So I sent it to my friend in my neighborhood and then a friend of mine named Herman, who's a doctor at SUNY Downstate. I saw that he had posted on Instagram and so I wrote him and I said Herman what can I do for you and he goes I wouldn't turn down a hot meal I was like okay I'm playing really small by taking care of just my friends Mm -hmm. like it's time to get involved so then I I text Tammy and I said what if I donated my Digal Gumbe which is on uh, BA's um, website amazing recipe I made it at the test kitchen and so I said what if I made that in you guys's kitchen and we donated it on behalf of us to brooklyn hospital so in that same same like breath herman gets what he thinks might be COVID 19 he's at the icu at suny downstate so then i sent him colona verde go and i'm like okay so now herman has food my neighbor has food my friend in harlem has food and medicine Okay, next week I'm going to spend the week feeding hospital workers. I was really lucky in that Tammy and Felipe both have similar way of doing things. And they're all three of us are like, let's learn as we go and not wait to figure it out. Right. So So how did you get in touch with the with the um, with the hospital to offer these these meals? So while Herman was out because he needed to be out from work for a few days, I then, I live above Hungry Ghost. And so, and the, a it's lot a of the, coffee shop in yeah. Portland. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the employees there are dear friends. And so I was in there getting coffee and I was telling the manager there, Alex, I was like, oh, 
we're going to start delivering food to Brooklyn Hospital. Like, let me know if you guys want to donate coffee. And one of the doctors was in line. And oh, my God. <laughs> so I asked her, I said, oh, my God, are you, are you a nurse at Brooklyn Hospital? And she goes, no, I'm a doctor. And I was like, do you need food? And she was like, we would love food. So then she became our point person. She's in wow. the, a part of the infectious uh, disease team. And so that was easy. And then yeah. we ended up being set up with the coordinator, Muhammad there, bless his heart, who's made things so seamless. So now we deliver to him and his team, and then they distribute the food. Herman went back to work, so now we deliver to SUNY Downstate. In doing that, we had Queer Soup um, you know, email us and say, you know, we're trying to feed the truck food people in New York City. We need donations. Do you have any food to give? So we've donated to them. And then this week, we're bringing on Table to Table in Chinatown. Wow. What's Table to Table? Um, they're servicing, oh, God, it's Moonly from... Um, um, Kobatium. She was... Yes. And so she's doing brilliant work in that she's feeding her community and she's feeding the most vulnerable. She's feeding their senior citizens. Wow, in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. She's brilliant. Her and her team are doing wonderful work. And I'll, I'll say this too. Um, Melody Dunst, the photographer, has been such a great support. She's donated a bunch of pastries, yes, I guess, last week. But as of yesterday, they've gone to table to table. Moonly picked them up. Um, mm mm-hmm. So, you know, started with feeding a few friends and then it's become this thing and I'm grateful for it. I'm also grateful that people have just reached out saying, how can I help? Yeah. And just to digress on the food for a second, can you walk us through what's actually what you're making um, and what this dish actually is that you've been able to scale up to such a degree? So the, one of the main things we in, include in there is just the, the Somali stew I was speaking of, which is coconut chicken yogurt. And we, we put it in a, like a 16-ounce a Tupperware. We put the stew and the rice together. Um, and then some of the other ones have been just like a hearty beef stew. Um, we have a, a veggie cilantro stew that we use. Then we have a veggie bowl with white rice that we make. Um, so, you know, we're using carrots, squash, zucchini, um, so it's all it's all very hearty and healthy. Our intentions aren't to, we're not fancy, we're not, you know, we're, we're small, we're, we're just trying to feed people and make things easier. Um, I think this week we're, you know, we're talking about, we got a huge donation of pineapples a few weeks ago. And so this week we're talking about putting ginger shots in there for people, you yeah. know, so we're using just what we have. And what is it like when you're going into the hospitals? Um, like, what's the, what's the mood been like and what's the response been like from the people who you're, who you're feeding? So I don't actually go into the hospitals. I usually wait outside the door and then someone will meet me. Like, one of the doctors will meet me or Herman will meet me or his team will meet me. Um, you know, it changes from day to day. Like, you can tell when they've had a good night, like... One of the hardest days for me was, um, I think I think on a Wednesday, they knew that a Thursday was going to be their hardest day. And so the morning of that Friday, I think that New York had lost about 700 plus people that night. Mm-hmm. And then the New York Times did an article on Brooklyn Hospital and how they were responding. Um, so that yeah, the New York Times did a whole feature on this on this hospital. And were you feeding them already at that point? Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, I think like the doctors and I and our group had just become so friendly, like we have a group chat. And so they sent articles, they sent photos, we sent photos of our meals or just like, you know, when we're dancing together, sometimes in in the like where they meet us, we'll send those videos to them. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was really hard because you could tell that the energy had shifted. But then they were so excited because. It, it was like a catch-22. They had had all these deaths from the day prior, but it was the first time where every patient had a bed. Wow. Wow, and it's so, so hard. It's like the good things and the bad things are just all mixed up with each other. Yeah. So, you know, our, 
my intentions and I, I think everybody I've been working with, our intentions are just to be available, to support and to get out of the way. Yeah. What has being so kind of in touch? I mean, the hospitals, we keep calling them our front lines. Like they really are where this virus is happening and like the streets are empty, the stores are closed and everything's quiet. And then everything that everything is happening in these hospitals, like that's where we've been fighting this virus. Um, Being kind of being so close to it, both physically, like in your where you live and being across from it. I know you're hearing the sirens like I like I am. I also live across from a hospital. But but and then serving these healthcare workers, um, how has it affected the way your perspective on this virus and on our response to the virus as like a city and I guess broader too? Um I think that for me what this virus and the response has done for for me personally is it's really highlighted what I already knew, which is that we are operating in a failed, dated system. Um, yeah. The most vulnerable of us are the essential workers, you know? Yeah. They are the people that hold New York together but can't afford New York City. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm driving around, you often just see only black and brown people. Yeah. So that's been, that's been really tough and disheartening. Um, you know, I'm praying that people don't think that this is a break, which is some it sometimes feels that way just from surfing on social media. It seems yeah. like it is just another okay, I'm staying in, I'm staying home, I'm doing my duties. This is what's been asked of me. Um and that's been really tough for me to watch because I think that I have access to a group of people that are incredibly entitled and privileged, myself included. Mm-hmm. And so it's been sad to see the lack of support in terms of just making yourself available and doing what you can from where you are, you know? Right, um, right. And then we I talked th- about this. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go for it, Amanda. Well, I was just going to say, I know we talked about this the other day. You were saying, you know, you don't, it's not like everybody needs to be on the front lines or not everybody needs or can be delivering food or being out in the world every day. But you talked about kind of um, understanding what your capacity is, wherever, whatever it might be, and at least fulfilling that. Right. I think that in all the things we can set out, this shouldn't be one, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were we were talking on Friday about it's a great privilege to be in a time where so many of us can do. And yeah. I hate for people to remember this time as a break that they got from not having to see their boss every day. Right, right. What do you want to remember about this time and what you did during this time, I think, is is a really great question for us to be asking ourselves right now. Exactly. I mean, in... So, go ahead. Um, I think for me, it would be really incredible to remember this time as a group of people, not who only came together, but actually stayed together, you know, um, who voted in November, not for their personal interest, but for the collective, you know, people who stood 10 toes down in their communities and really got involved, you know, um, I just, I just hope that those of us who are in position to do, do, because when this is written down, like, you don't want to be remembered for going to your country home and closing the door. Yeah, yeah. And I think even if you are out of the city, um, out of New York, that doesn't mean that there's nothing you can do. Um, And I think we talked about this too. Like you had a friend in Virginia you mentioned um, who's been really active in donating and promoting different causes. Um, So what, you know, what advice can we share for people who do feel like they have something to give but aren't sure, you know, where to start, whether that's because they're not you know, in an epicenter or they really can't go outside or what, what are some of our, um, what are some of the other ways that we can help? I think you start with your own community, right? Like if you're a mom who's on the PTA at school, then really think about the people in your community 
who maybe are not, you know, the kids who use school as a grounding force, right? So how about doing some some calls to that mom and her children? How about, you know, I don't know if everybody has access to Zoom or a laptop, but making sure that your neighbors don't fall behind, you know? How about showing up for the seniors in your community? And that doesn't mean you go out of your way and you cook and you deliver, but maybe the, the Senior Citizen Center needs a donation. Maybe you can partner with a restaurant to deliver food for the center on a Friday. Um, yeah. I think just to bring it home, it would be nice if people just started with where they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for some of us, I'm in Bed-Stuy where, you know, we're one of the hardest hit zip codes in the city and having, you know, a grocery store across the street from me and 50 neighbors within a half mile radius who are immunocompromised or elderly or need groceries Mm -hmm. is it's really easy for me to see a need and to fill that. And if you, but you don't need to live in a dense place for there to be a need. And that's one of the things about this virus that we keep saying, like it's everywhere. There's nowhere that it, you know, can't go. Therefore that's terrible and scary, but also there's nowhere where you can't be of use in some way right now. Exactly. And I think, you know, Amanda, just to say this, like kudos to you. I feel like while taking care of yourself, you've stepped up for the people in your community. You know, like, I don't think people even know this online, but you're going grocery shopping for people all the time, putting yourself out there and making yourself available to others. I think I think that in itself is brave. And I, I think that is life-changing for the people that you're delivering to. Like, I, I'm just so thankful to know you and to hear about those stories that you share with me personally. Oh my God, don't make me cry. <laughs> I also, Girl, yeah, I mean, I also, <laughs> I think this is a whole other can of worms, but I do think, you know, when you live in a neighborhood, when you are a gentrifier in a way um, that at least I feel an even greater responsibility to help the community, especially because as we've seen, this virus is not equal opportunity. And for all the reasons you talked about, the the broken healthcare system and um, and the way that you know systemic racism. Um, this virus is affecting people of color and lower income people at higher rates. So you know, living in a community that is majority um, non-white and seeing that really right in front of me, I think um, it's impossible to it's it's impossible to look away. And I and I I don't think. Um, I don't think I could, and I'm glad. I'm glad that I can't because, um, like you said, that's not how I want to remember um, remember this time. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, before we go, I want to ask you, um, you know, you are so good at staying connected virtually, like everything you're posting, and I know you're talking to people all the time, but like you said, um, you are an introvert or you're used to being alone and having a lot of alone time. And I've found, you know, especially working on this guide to being alone, a lot of us are talking about trying to balance this sort of need for outreach and connection virtually right now with, with finding that solitude because solitude I think can be just as restorative and necessary right now as connection. It's just that it feels like we should be reaching out all the time. So I think you're good at this and I want to know, like, I, you know, I see you like doing your self-care stuff and taking care of yourself in these ways that, um, you know, I'm sure feed your ability to go out and help people. So what are the things that you're doing to find solitude and find, you know, peace on your own right now? Um, well, I've been doing dance church with you. Yeah. Um, You introduced (laughs) me to that and thank you. Um, You know, I've also been just like on group chats, like on video chats with friends that are all over the world that just ground me and give me great perspective. Um, I've been talking to my siblings more than ever before. That also just grounds me and makes me feel like I'm closer to home. Um, And then just like cleaning my house and putting things in order and, you know, not pushing myself to even do the actual work for my business. I, I've taken almost two, three weeks off from that. We're 30 days back ordered if anyone is listening to this. Um, <laughs> It'll come eventually. It will come eventually, please. Thank you. Um, patience, patience. Exactly. You know, I've just been, I've just 
have been taking care in the way I know how to, how to best, which is like centering myself in my community and talking to my people and drinking my water and going to bed early and not feeling guilty if I have a bottle of wine. Um, <laughs> and then just making myself, I think for me, one way that I feel good about myself and feel good about myself, especially emotionally, is doing for people. Um, yeah. And so just making myself available to my community, checking on people. I know some people don't have the capacity, so it's nothing for me sometimes to just reach out to friends virtually to say, hey, I'm here if you need something. Um, yeah, that's yeah. that's what I've been doing. I've been listening to a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. I just discovered James Blake. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm late. <laughs> It's all right. I'm like, you know, I'm watching The Sopranos for the first time. So there's. <laughs> You're like a decade late. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm not even doing a very good job of uh, paying attention, but, you know. Um, Hawa, it's so lovely to chat with you. I wish we could just chat all afternoon, but um, I guess I got to go back to my real job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate yeah. you. I'll talk to you really soon. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. My name is Sachi Cole, and I wrote about how much I miss eating alone in public. It's funny how the disruption of your typical routines make you miss things you never even considered before. Getting stuck in a boring conversation at a party, having someone brush up against you at a museum and not being terrified for your own mortality, getting drunk enough to share a cigarette with a stranger. For me, it's only been in the last few weeks that I've really thought about how much I miss one thing in particular, eating alone in public. This small but ever-present joy combines all the things I love most. Eating, gawking at strangers, and being left alone. It's vastly different than drinking alone at bars, which men often use as an invitation to talk to me about things like my cuteness, I know, Stephen, or where exactly my apartment is and whether they can come to it. I'm also not big on participatory events, so I have no interest in concerts or theater or any other public functions that I could feasibly do alone with others. All I really want is to sit with a big bowl. All foods are best served in bowls. This is not up for debate. And watch the world drift by. Sometimes I read, or sometimes I just enjoy watching two strangers fight at a nearby table. Here's a helpful tip. Put in headphones so they think you're not listening to them, when, in fact, that is the only thing you're doing. I know how lucky I am to be riding out this quarantine order with someone I love, who's a great cook and spends most evenings making me inventive and comforting dishes. Hearty stir fries, steak au poivre, pasta with tons of garlic, niçoise salad with as many eggs as I can ask for. My husband can make nearly anything I'd request. His food is always perfect, a version of his love that I can devour. But sometimes I don't want food to be love. I just want one little solo activity, proof of my own control, a place where I can set whatever rules I want. I miss eating many of these exact dishes in the quiet din of a restaurant, after the lunch rush or whenever I choose, alone, pawing at a book and pretending I'll read it, and then listening to a podcast about two live crew instead. Last week, I texted Adrian, my foodiest food food friend, who's also struggling with our quarantine orders. Adrian loves an expensive steak, but will also eat an alarming amount of meat. I mean... I think it was meat-centric Domino's pizza, if presented with it. Adrian and I once went to Miami with some friends, and on the day we left, he had six meals, including two separate dinners, an overpriced airport fish and chips platter, and then, about 45 minutes later, a vegan corn and peppers wrap on the flight. His digestive system is a puzzle and a marvel. Earlier this week, when I inexplicably bought about 50 chicken wings, my husband asked me, Did you think Adrian was coming for dinner or something? Adrian understands me. Love a walk and eat, he replied when I asked him if he also missed eating alone. Dripping all over yourself, like a sandwich on the way home. He too just wants to devour something in plain view of others, like it's evidence that we're all alive. Eating is a simple ritual, but it's one that reminds us of our own buoyancy and insistence upon living. Right now, it would be especially nice to have that kind of reminder when everything feels so bleak. What I think about most these days is Fohang, 
a little but formidable restaurant in Toronto's West Chinatown. I haven't lived there in a year and a half, but when I did, I'd eat at Fohang a few times a month at minimum. For about $25 all in, Canadian, so like, what, three American Confederate dollars, I could get a giant Foga, fresh rolls, and a beer. When I'd go alone, they'd seat me by a window where I would slurp my soup, ruin the front of my shirt. Instead of merely eating like an adult woman, I simply stopped wearing nice shirts there and be ignored by all the staff. The restaurant isn't too far from a few college campuses, so there'd always be a nice young couple sniping at each other. Dinner and a show. I left every meal at Fohang feeling physically full and emotionally replenished. An hour of time alone with my favorite meal, a big batch of noodles and broth, and the strict restaurant rule that you cannot take any of the soup home. I'd eat it all and be so full that I'd have to waddle home, right on the brink of discomfort. Later, when I would return to my husband, I felt renewed and ready for the next evening, when maybe we would have a nice meal together. Distance makes the heart fonder. Eating alone is a reminder of how nice it can be to eat with someone. That was the magic of the solo noodle soup. Adrian calls it a brain bath. I call it rebirth. I'm not sure when Adrian and I will get to return to our soups. Separately, of course, Afohung. But I have to trust that it'll happen for us eventually. One day soon, we'll be together and being alone, just how we like it. Until then, we'll have to keep finding ways to eat alone when it's impossible to be alone. Him hiding in his basement with a bowl of rigatoni and me gnawing on stale baguette while sitting in my dry tub, waiting for some kind of good news. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wartsman with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Inamine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.